All right, welcome back to the podcast. This is J.D. Combs back with you. And today we're going to discuss the 2016 apostolic exhortation from Pope Francis titled Amoris Laetitia, and that's the joy of love. And the document is on love in the family. Now, in this episode, I'm going to be joined by Dr. Maureen Day, who is a professor of pastoral theology at Franciscan School of Theology in Oceanside, California. And this podcast is going to take place over two parts. Um, So in the first part, we're going to talk about the Diocese of San Diego and the synod that they had uh, inspired by this document. We're also going to talk about theology of marriage and families and denouncing chauvinism and individualism. Now this document is a very beautiful document. It has many rich insights about modern day families and the many difficulties that they face. And while over the next two podcasts we definitely won't be able to cover everything the document covers because it's almost 300 pages long but we do hit on a lot of important topics and um and some might have heard kind of visceral knee-jerk reactions to this document and um i believe that a lot of people are They're hanging on to about two sentences or maybe one paragraph in the whole entire document and kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And so what we wanted to accomplish in this podcast was showing just how beautiful this document is and the wonderful pastoral insights that it offers. So without further ado, here is part one of my discussion with Dr. Maureen Day on Pope Francis's Amoris Laetitia. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Maureen Day, who is a professor of pastoral theology at the Franciscan School of Theology in Oceanside, California. And, uh, Maureen, if you want to kind of introduce yourself before we run into our topic. Sure. Yeah, my name is Maureen Day, and um, as Justin was saying, and my areas that I study are family, um, religion and civic engagement, and young adults. And so I'm excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Justin. Yeah, it's fun. I had to find someone good to do this uh, (laughs) podcast with. So today we're going to kind of dive into uh, Pope Francis's apostolic exhortation, Amoris Laetitia, or the joy of love. Um, And so I think it's kind of, for better or for worse, has had some uh, people shaking their fists in the air. Um, But I kind of wanted to also give... uh, the document it's due credit because it has a lot more going on than just uh, two sentences and a footnote. Um, And it's very beautiful and it 
um, talks about so many different uh, topics to do with family life. Um, but one kind of unique thing, uh, we're in kind of the region of the Diocese of San Diego, maybe the outskirts up in Oceanside here. Um, but a few years ago, um, Bishop uh, Robert McElroy called a synod, his own synod on the family for the Diocese of San Diego and kind of really looked at Amoris Laetitia and uh, Maureen, you were one of the theologians I was, yes. for that. Yeah. So kind of what did uh, the synod look like? Sure. So the synod um, came out after Amoris Laetitia did and with the intention of how do we take this document written for the whole church and then apply it to our Southern California, San Diego diocese context. So that was, that was the, the aim. It was very pastoral. How do we take this document and make sense of it for our context? And so it's, it was actually a pretty lengthy process. They had people um, from each of the hundred parishes in the diocese, um, plus a few at-large people involved. And they asked them each to hold listening sessions at their parishes. So we were supposed to get the feedback from every parish in the diocese. Anyone who was welcome to part, who wanted to participate could do that, could do so at their parish level. Um, and then we had all of those delegates then break up into five different groups where they were subcommittees. So I, for example, was the theologian on the, for the group that looked at children and the raising and formation of children. Um, and there were other groups, um, one was for the divorced and remarried. And we had special categories that we wanted to really unpack. Um, and so we, each of our small groups met over a weekend preceding the general synod. And in that case, we had about 125 or so people all coming together um, to really give each other feedback for each of the subcommittees. We, the subcommittees would hear that and then convene um, separately and try to address the concerns that were brought up on the general assembly floor. Um, it was a long weekend. <laughs> um, there were lots of opinions. Um, if you can imagine, you know, have, cause if you think about parish culture, every parish mm -hmm. is so different and unique. Yeah. So you have these people who are so different from one another, although very humbly trying to achieve a common goal, which is to bring Amoris Laetitia to our diocese. Yeah. And it's just that kind of pointing out that each parish is different mm -hmm. in the Diocese of San Diego, we cover two counties, San Diego and Imperial counties. So uh, for those not in San Diego, like we're on the border. So we have, I mean, you could have like your kind of affluent parishes and also very poor parishes or parishes that are like made up of migrant workers out in El Centro. And so that probably created a very unique dynamic. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, the concerns of one group may not even be on the radar for mm -hmm. another group. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so out of that synod, or we kind of got a revamped office of marriage and family life right. in our diocese. Um, what's kind of been the, um, maybe impact so far. I know there's been kind of pilot phases and stuff, right. but where is it going and where's kind of it hope to go? Sure. And I can't speak to the full scope yeah. of what they're doing, but what I do know, um, some of the things they're doing is they completely reached, uh, looked at how the pre-cana formation was happening in the diocese, um, 
they listened carefully to how it was going in the past and they tried really to take what was best um, and then to integrate new things that kind of were being, um, in their assessment, overlooked. Um, that was a, a major priority that happened out of, right out of the get-go. Um, as well as trying to figure out how to minister to these populations that have kind of been um, swept under the rug, mm -hmm. so to speak. So, you know, divorced and remarried. And, and then just sometimes suffering that happens within families that we tend to dismiss. So like drug addiction or alcohol mm -hmm. abuse, a mental illness, special needs children. And so things, populations that kind of get overlooked, um, really pulling them out from the margins to the center and seeing how we can best care for these and the people who support them and love them. Yeah, I know at my parish, the divorced and divorced and remarried mm -hmm. kind of ministry has really taken off and it's yeah. it's been very helpful. I, I know of one of my friends, she's an old church lady, mm -hmm. <laughs> but she is divorced and remarried, but both of her husbands had passed away and but like this has come in kind of her twilight and she's so excited yeah. and like it's like we needed this and For sure. like yeah so um kind of maybe moving from the synod um you're going to be teaching a course on the theology of marriage um, and so I thought maybe we could talk about the theology of marriage and kind of how that's reflected in Amoris Laetitia, because sure. it has, well, a lot to say about marriage. It does, it does. <laughs> it's a fantastic document because it really does attempt to be comprehensive um, without going into too many rabbit holes for too long. So, um, But really trying to sit with the reality of family, because that's kind of what's been missing um, in past documents. Um, the struggles. Mm -hmm. um, is We've tended to romanticize family life and hold up these wonderful ideals. You know, the, like if you were to imagine the, the the picture of your of the parents surrounding the first communion child. You know, this uh -huh. idyllic moment, yeah. which is how we have these idyllic moments. But family life is a little rockier than what you know your first communion mm -hmm. picture tends to reflect. So this um, this document really wanted to get at those rockier moments and um, show that holiness is in those rockier moments rather mm -hmm. than. Um, suffering or things to get over, um, so to speak. <laughs> kind of, maybe one of the first things we can touch on is how kind of marital and conjugal love is modeled after God's love and also Christ and the church. Um, and so the document hints on that, but I don't know whether. Sure. So <laughs> um, since coming to the Franciscan School of Theology, and I'm just finishing my second year here, um, I learned a lot more about the distinctively Franciscan approach to doing theology. So I might be speaking out of that tradition a lot today too. That's just as excellent. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> um, but one of the things that I noticed that's really important in the Franciscan tradition is really just the Trinity. So mm -hmm. I always tell students, as I, I says, here's a secret. The answer to every question is the Trinity. <laughs> so, you know, if you want to know, well, what does a Franciscan take on the Eucharist look like? It's, well, what does a Trinitarian understanding mm -hmm. of the Eucharist look like? And so if you were to just replace Trinity with a Franciscan in every... And question that you ask, then really that that would give you the Franciscan approach. So what does a Franciscan approach to love look like? Mm -hmm. um, it's definitely based in the Trinity. Um, it's the idea that God is love and that God is relationship, right? So if we have a triune God, a God that is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, that these persons are ontologically in relationship with each other, mm -hmm. uh, that 
And suddenly, and if we fully understand that, then we know it's not just a fact of our faith, but it's actually the foundation of everything we do. Because we as human persons made in the image of a loving relational God are therefore then also loving and relational. So a theology that starts with a Trinitarian God um, moves you into a person who is, um, a human person who is most human when they are most loving Mm -hmm. and giving and receiving that love. Yeah, and that's in the document we have um, kind of, Francis says this is precisely the mystery of marriage. God makes two spouses one single existence, Mm -hmm. just like the Trinity is three but one single existence. And uh, an anecdote I thought, I don't know if I, I don't know if this is original or not, but (laughs) one times one times one equals one. Mm -hmm. So it's an easy way to explain the Trinity. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I also, um, as far as like Christ and the church, which is kind of this, at least from Christ to us, is this perfect union that, and it's always spoken of in marital terms. Um, Church is the bride and Christ Mm -hmm. is the bridegroom. Mm -hmm. Francis says, um, there's no need to lay upon two limited persons the tremendous burden of having to reproduce perfectly the union existing between Christ and his church. For marriage as a sign entails a dynamic process one which advances gradually with the progressive integration of the gifts of God. And I, that's, uh, Francis has a way with words, doesn't he? <laughs> right. um, yeah, it's just, we're always moving there. And um, it's another, another little pastoral hint that we can <laughs> keep yeah, on absolutely. jumping into. Um, and since you mentioned like Franciscan theology, um, we have like kind of this um, notion of marriage and kind of its relationship to the incarnation. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was really interesting and just kind of um, what Francis says, natural marriage is fully understood in the light of its fulfillment in the sacrament of matrimony only in contemplating Christ does a person come to know the deepest truth about human relationships? Only the mystery of the incarnate word does the mystery of man take on light. And so I'm just thinking about, I don't know, another Franciscan thing, uh, John chapter one, <laughs> the prologue, there's how like Christ came to reveal like not only God, but uh, what it means to be fully human and if we're and what it means to fully love so right. if we're kind of approaching marriage and all relationships from an incarnational standpoint then we're kind of realizing who we are in Christ and who other people are in Christ and therefore kind of making the whole world moving towards Christ right right <laughs> yeah. yeah and I think you're highlighting something that I'd like to just unpack and pause with mm-hmm. for your listeners that so often like the Trinity, you know, it's a, it's a fact of our faith, but it's more than that, right? It should inform the way we do and think everything, yeah. right? So the incarnation is similar in the fact that people tend to hear incarnation and think of the solitary moment in salvation history, yeah. as opposed to 
no, that changed the whole pattern of the way we do things. Mm -hmm. Like the whole way we see creation was changed by the fact that God was mingled with it. Yeah. And so I think that you're elevating this incarnational piece is re it's really critical in understanding marriage and just relationship more broadly. Yeah. And that was, I, I just thought of, uh, this time I was at a park with my daughter and, um, for those who are in San Diego, they'll probably be familiar with the Rock Church down in Point Loma. And this, so we were in Point Loma and this guy came and he had his Bible and he like was starting to like evangelize to me. And I was like, oh, he doesn't know what he's in for. <laughs> <laughs> and so then through our conversation at one point, I said, like, if you as a human being or us as human beings weren't already kind of created perfectly. Like if we weren't good, then Christ would have never become incarnate as a human being. Right. Um, right. And so that was, I don't know. I just love the incarnation. Yeah, yes, of course. <laughs> What's not to love? Yeah. So it's, <laughs> it reveals the fact that God becomes incarnate in us reveals not only a lot about God mm -hmm. and what God thinks about us, but it reveals so much about humanity Absolutely. and and creation broadly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well said, Justin. Um, so another interesting thing that um, I was reflecting on from reading this document and kind of a approach to a theology of marriage was kind of. Um, marital life as a form of liturgy mm. and i thought that was really interesting um and i don't know if you have any thoughts no on yeah that. <laughs> i mean a couple so i would begin by being the sociological nerd that i am <laughs> and re referring to a little bit on the sociology of ritual and what we have discovered when we take a sociological approach to any sort of ritual is that ritual is powerful not because it's cognitive but because it's affective. Mm -hmm. So ritual is powerful because of the ambiguity that's inherent within that. So what we can, what we have with ritual and liturgy is an experience that means different things cognitively to different people, but what it feels like is we're all in this together. So it has this sense of bringing people together, of erasing the differences that could divide us and really emphasizing what unites us. And insofar as how marriage does these similar things and how love just more broadly does this is yes, we can see uh, the things that bother us about other people, right? <laughs> or we can go to what we share in common with them and why we love them. And it might even be those quirky things that, that also in fact bug us about them. But once we fully embrace that person in this liturgical moment that is relationship and that is marriage, mm -hmm. um, then we can go beyond, um, being annoyed by those differences yeah. and embracing them for this is who this person is. And I'm going with that. Yeah. And I was, uh, I remember we were, I went to like a conference, uh, an RCIA conference, and it talked about the dismissal of the catechumens before mm -hmm. uh, the liturgy of the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. And one of my colleagues, she said, like a good reason for that is that we don't make love in public, mm. um, that the Eucharist, this crazy sacred moment right. that, um, 
I've stopped trying to put words to because it's <laughs> futile. Right, sure, yeah. <laughs> um, but, and so I was just thinking of like, I don't know, the, and I think it might make some people uncomfortable, this dynamic of Jesus entering your body, you becoming one with Jesus, mm -hmm. and how that's part of liturgy and also kind of the conjugal act sure. as two becoming one. Right. Um, and what all of that means. And sure. and I guess that can kind of appropriately, eh, appropriately transition into kind of a husband and wife's participation in creation. Sure. Um, right, you know, right, yeah. And take if it I could, away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if I just you could add to that, that um, the Eucharist and Eucharistic acts are inherently intimate, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this is, again, part of this, that we are approaching um, someone as ourselves totally vulnerable yeah. in that moment. Um, and so another thing that I've heard say about the Eucharist, you know, this is the true presence of Christ, but are you being truly present to that mm -hmm. moment as well? And true presence requires vulnerability. It requires for you to own up to... Um, all to any sort of um, inequities or, mm -hmm. or problems or um, things that are distractions and really make what is before you um, the most important thing in that moment. And yeah. so I think that that also is a great marital lesson as well with the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. And so I, when uh, my daughter was born, I remember thinking to myself, and how like my mind was just completely like exploded mm -hmm. that me, my wife and God mm -hmm. participated in creating this child sure. and even more so just kind of, um, I don't know, coming to terms with that and just the, um, I don't know, how do you wrap your mind around that right. <laughs> and I mean you as a mother that's even the child's <laughs> growing inside of you right. it's even more intimate mm -hmm. um and oh, do you have any words about like kind of that aspect of marriage that it's it takes the next step of and that's maybe even more of that trinity angle of like you're moving into the trinity and god's creation when you Bring children into the sure, world. Sure, sure. So, for I think a lot of people bringing children into the world, either through um, biological or adoption, is this moment of sacrifice and selflessness that really speaks to like the the crucifixion, mm -hmm. um, because you're willing to put so much of yourself aside for this little creature who totally depends on you that you love far beyond any ca capacity that you thought you were able to. Um, so yes, I think that that's. Um, an experience that many people get to participate in that speaks to that um, real selflessness that um, is so, that helps us um, understand what the cross and the glory of the cross looks like and the joy of sacrificing for another person. Mm -hmm. um, whereas I think that it's also helpful to um, not just see that it's only within these moments of childbirth and childbearing. It's the um, whenever you are totally selfless for another person, I see this like when spouses care for one another when one's dying. Mm -hmm. um, I see this caring for aged parents, you know, a willingness to 
kind of shirk the norms of society, which is, you know, you're valuable if you're productive, you're valuable mm -hmm. if you are, um, if, if you are contributing to yeah. society in a way that um, increases our GDP or whatever it is, <laughs> as opposed to saying, no, you're valuable in and of yourself. Yeah. And I think that child rearing and childbirth is one of those moments that a lot of people share, but that it goes beyond that as well. And the family and all of its intimate relationships really offers a space uh, um, that we kind of transcend those societal norms of utility and whatnot and instrumentalizing people. Yeah. Okay. So the next thing, and I don't know if this was surprising or not, um, at least when I was kind of re-reading the document to prepare for the podcast, like I saw these really strong, um, really strong words from Francis denouncing chauvinism in all forms um, that it takes and I just want to sure. actually read what he writes because it's like I read it to my wife last night who's not Catholic but she's mm -hmm. like a oorah uh, feminist mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and she and I read it and she's like that's right <laughs> um, Amen. so let me see <laughs> so like I think, or quote, quoting Francis, I think particularly of the shameful ill treatment to which women are sometimes subjected, domestic violence and various forms of enslavement, which rather than show masculine power are craven acts of cowardice. There are, <clears throat> there are those who believe that many of today's problems have arisen because of feminine Feminine emancipation. This argument, however, is not valid. It is false, untrue, and a form of male chauvinism. If certain forms of feminism have arisen, which we consider inadequate, we must nonetheless see in the women's movement the working of the spirit for a clear recognition of the dignity of rights of women. Mm -hmm. So i kind of blown away by that. And we can even talk a little bit more about what he says about those readings of St. Paul, but mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So I think that um, at least the struggle for within Catholicism to start, to start with Catholicism mm -hmm. before we look to society, um, is that it did, we do have a history where we pray all the, we privilege the male and um, power and authority over the woman's. And so we can see this most recently in the document from the 1930s, Casti Canubi, um, where it was iterated that the husband was in charge of the family and his he had authority over his wife and the wife had, had authority over the children and this was the way that the family <laughs> was, was organized i was uh, I, yesterday i don't know what i was listening to or reading mm -hmm. and it like kept on going down oh it was on uh, unbreakable kimmy schmidt okay. and it was, <laughs> The man is in charge of the wife, the wife of the children, the children of the dogs, the dogs of the cats. It's <laughs> and the cats, the cats just do their own thing. So, but I digress. Yes, yes, yes. No, it's a whole farmer and the doll hierarchy we have going on. Um, but yes, so I think that if we think back to that tradition, that tradition came out of a a of a time where we were misinformed of reality. You know, we can take. Um, if we take a fault, if we begin with a faulty premise, we can build a valid argument that's still false at the end because mm -hmm. we began with something that was faulty. And to think that 
women were less competent, um, that they were, did not have the same dignity, um, that they didn't reflect Christ in, in a, in a, in as adequate of a way as men mm-hmm. did that this, um, that now we say, no, women and men are equal in dignity. Um, and so now we have a new premise that we build our, our argument of what marriage should look like. <laughs> and so beginning with Vatican II and onward, we have um, the spouses seen as partners, yeah. the spouses seen as friends, um, rather than as um, the woman being someone weaker that the, the husband needs to take care of. Mm-hmm. And Gaudium et Spes has just yes. this wonderful... It's a, a whole chapter dedicated to marriage, and it's it's quite beautiful. So yes, yeah. Go read it if you're listening. <laughs> okay. um, and maybe one of the places where <clears throat> that kind of false reality comes from is like this bad reading of uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Sure, which John Paul II really wanted to correct. <laughs> yeah, and... So I, and I mentioned before we started, I was, um, like just happened upon this video where it was like everything Francis got wrong with Amoris Laetitia. And it was this, that Francis says, uh, every form of sexual submission must be clearly rejected. This includes all improper interpretations of the passage to the letter to the Ephesians, where Paul tells women to be subject to your husbands. Mm -hmm. And so this guy just was immediately, this is wrong, and <laughs> women need to be subject to their husbands, and I stopped watching it. <laughs> um, but then it's funny because he's quoting John Paul II in this whole little yes. thing here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, and maybe this is a point also where we could maybe talk about the individualism and maybe the more wider societal things was Francis says this biblical text is actually concerned with encouraging everyone to overcome a complacent individualism and to be constantly mindful of others. Right. Right. So, I mean, one of the main things that any relationship, but especially the spousal relationship should be characterized by is a generosity of oneself. And so to give yourself over to your spouse is critical to creating a healthy marriage. So you shouldn't be keeping tabs of, do you owe me, right? But mm-hmm. if you're both giving generously of yourself, then it, uh, everything evens out at the end yeah, of the day yeah. or the end of the week or whenever. And, you know, because at times I know that, you know, I've, you know, I had a friend pass and so I relied more on my husband than he did on me. And, you know, then there'll be times when he's going to need to lean on me. And so mm-hmm. it's not about keeping track. It's just about giving generously and knowing that if it's done in respect and love, then it's going to, be beautiful so. yeah that was yesterday I, I lifted a bag of concrete the wrong way and my back <laughs> no. like yeah. and so like I was laying in bed for a couple hours and I was just like and we had so we have uh, my son is two weeks old and so uh, my wife is like juggling him and our two-year-old daughter luckily she came in to the bedroom and just wanted to play with me and mm. she's like my back is hurt and laid down next to me <laughs> but my wife was like also trying to attend to me and I was like mm. no you're yeah. already like you're doing right. like like I'm already for the like rest of the day I'm laid up yeah. and like I feel bad because I can't really help with <laughs> our sure. kids but you still even want to take it beyond and mm. not only take care of 
our two-week-old son, our two-year-old daughter, but mm-hmm. also your 30-year-old <laughs> decrepit husband. <laughs> um, sure. And that's the beauty. You know, that's when we talk about um, Francis not wanting to idealize the family and, you know, to have these first communion yeah. moments that we're focused on. It's these moments when like love is really revealed and this, these moments of suffering here, you know, a more light case of suffering than yeah. compared to what families can experience. Um, but still, you know, the beauty of your wife's abiding love in this mm-hmm. rather than why don't you get off your lazy butt and help out? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I try to be conscious of that, of like, mm-hmm. I need like, I need to change the diapers. I need to do this sure. and that. And just even those little things where, like, I'll take the second shift instead of <laughs> my wife. <laughs> right. And I think that that's a funny thing, too, about individualism. It's not just about taking, and that, I mean, that is a problem, but it's also about being it being difficult to receive, mm-hmm. right? Because we're so used to taking care of ourselves that when we can't, then it's hard for us to accept the generosity of other yeah. people. Yeah, it's like the when someone gives you a gift and mm-hmm. it's like, no, 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 I can't accept <laughs> right. this. Um, mm-hmm. And that's that's even a kind of a difficult place to get into because I used to do that with my my grandmother all the mm-hmm. time. She wants to just dump a bunch of money into my lap and it's like, <laughs> you're on Social Security. Uh-huh, like, sure. And But then it's like, what's the value of her giving the gift mm-hmm. and what's the detriment of refusing the sure. gift? Um, if we can stay on individualism for a second I just wanted to talk about um, we're talking about family and we're forgetting that that phase before marriage you know the the relationship building the dating the the romance that that helps us find the person that we want to marry Um, and that uh, so when I used to teach undergrads at Santa Clara University that was a major thing they hoped to take away from the course was how to know when when you should get married, mm-hmm. there was a, you know, they were, these were graduating seniors who had plans and timelines that they wanted to understand. Yeah. And, um, and also how do you know that this is the person that you should marry? Um, and so as we're talking through this, I had a, some problems at first understanding what they were even asking, because there is, um, a way that romance is changing. Um, it probably started sociologically. We would look at maybe the 1980s or so, but we we shifted from a an idea that we marry the person who really satisfies us to this idea that we marry our soulmate. That mm-hmm. there's only one person out there who's really the best for us, and anything less than that is just is you know you're selling yourself short. So we start, we've started to enter into this upgrade mentality yeah. of when we, when we find our spouses. Um, and you know, just to, to give you an example of how this happens outside of the field of relationships is that before I remember when I was a kid, if we needed to buy a couch, we would drive to JCPenney's, right? And we would see the six couches they had, and then we'd walk next door to Macy's, and we'd see the 12 couches they had. Mm-hmm. And then... Of these 18 couches, we would find one that was good enough for us. And, you know, it you know had the size that we wanted. It wasn't too firm, wasn't too soft. It could wipe up because we had, you know, their kids in the family, you know. <laughs> so we needed to find one that made sense for our family. And we would be satisfied with it. We'd go home and we'd be happy with our couch. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, if you're going to buy a couch, 
you have your phone, right? And yeah. you have this whole world of couches. You have 20,000. And so no longer are you <laughs> satisfied with happy, but you really want the best. Yeah. And there's this endless quest for the best out there. And so it's the same as happening with online dating, right? So mm-hmm. you're no longer satisfied with this person you have because you just swiped and like you found yeah. this perfect person who of course perfect on their photo yeah. and like yeah. the three <laughs> words that they describe themselves with. But so we have this idea that we're, we've been introduced to this idea that we need to constantly um, be dissatisfied and pursue what's best. And so mm-hmm. when one of my students asked me one day, they said, how did you know that when you were dating your husband, that he was really the best and you were going to commit to him? And I just kind of thought about it for a second and I responded, I'm like, he's not a phone, yeah. like, you know? So I, I'm, I had to make a choice to, can this person, um, help me grow in virtue? Am I going to help them grow in virtue? And cause that's one thing that doesn't get old is right. This path to yeah. holiness. And um, so I'm sorry, I've, I've spoken a long time, but. Oh, no, that's, uh, I've, I asked the same question of, uh my RCIA sponsor because mm. he's was about 10 years older than me and married. And I was like, I did the same thing. How yeah. did you know? But then from the male perspective, it was like, well, the relationship was easy. <laughs> it's like, it was like, I'm going to go yeah. to dinner with like my best friend for an hour. And it yeah. was never like, well, where are you going to be? When are you going to be home? It was just like the relationship. There is trust there. There's, Sure. And I remember that was one of the things that kind of put me over the edge to mm-hmm. at least, like consider marrying my now wife. And right. it's like, well, our relationship's pretty easy. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and yeah, and those, um, I don't know, that upgrade mentality with people or doesn't really work. Um, and I don't know where I'm going with this because well, I, I don't want to upgrade my life. <laughs> yes, right, sure. I think um, Pope Francis touches on this. He doesn't use the word upgrade culture, yeah, yeah. but he says culture of the ephemeral, right? And uh-huh. um, so in um, paragraph 39, he talks about the relationship being quickly, in quotes, blocked. You know, this is the first Facebook reference I've ever mm-hmm. seen in a people document. <laughs> but and, and then I think two of the fears, and then I'm quoting from Pope Francis again, Morris Letizia, I think two of the fears associated with free time and those relationships that weigh costs and benefits for the sake of remedying loneliness, providing protection, or offering some service. Here, getting into this utilitarian mm-hmm. um, aspect of relationships. And then going back to Francis, we treat affective relationships the way we treat material objects and the environment. Everything is disposable. Everyone uses and throws away, takes and breaks, exploits and squeezes to the last drop, then goodbye. Mm-hmm. Um, a really sad, um, but um, unfortunately accurate way that relationships can happen now in a way that really they didn't happen a couple generations ago. I mean, not that people yeah. didn't use each other, clearly. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, it's just the way our culture has um, become digitized. It's created new mindsets Mm -hmm. um, and templates for engaging in relationships yeah and i i remember where i was going now (laughs) but uh just i think even in our like catholic world or culture we're not um immune to that attitude either and um and i know i wrote about this for you (laughs) um that like even in kind of the young adult communities that there's still this kind of delay Mm -hmm. for finding the perfect person. And I remember, um, a friend saying 
Like the guys there are looking for Mary in a bikini <laughs> and they're not going to find that. <laughs> um, and so I just remember like, and I look at it now, even with not only in Catholic circles, but in like non-Catholic circles that with my friends, it's that this humongous delay in marriage sure. and, or even in child rearing mm -hmm. that, um, I got married when I was 26 and we got engaged when we were both 24, 25, like, and people were shocked. They were like, you're too young. Sure. Like, and well, now you need to have a five-year engagement. And it's just like, <laughs> no, like yeah. this, this is right. Like, this is who, like, like, I'm not going to get sick of this person. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, so it's. I find it interesting that there's the maybe kind of overarching aspect of like maybe the Western culture at large of this delay and um, maybe emerging adulthood sure, <laughs> like right. where things are there. Not only is society different than it was 30, 40 years ago, but like who says you can't get married mm -hmm. and have kids before your career is established. Right. And I did it. If, <laughs> I, if I can just speak of my own experience that um, we probably couldn't have decided to have children at a worse financial time <laughs> in our sure. lives because like I had just, we just started, I started graduate school here at Franciscan School of Theology and taking on a huge amount of debt. I had quit my job because it was really hard to juggle like full-time mental health work and full-time graduate school. Mm -hmm. And then like a few months into graduate school, it was like, we thought we might've like been pregnant, but mm -hmm. the test was negative and we we're like, oh, and there's this like <laughs> sinking feeling. It's like, we really wanted it. And mm -hmm. we took that as, this was God telling us like, mm -hmm. you're ready. This is, it's time. Right. And then we conceived a few months later. Mm -hmm. Couldn't have been a worse time, <laughs> like by the standards of society. Sure. And, but it was the best time for us mm -hmm. and the time that we were invited into by the Holy Spirit. So, right. Yeah. right. If I could just take this moment to do yeah. a little pastoral analysis of like not your situation, but yeah. the situation more broadly. Um, I wouldn't do broadcast your uh, pastoral analysis. <laughs> of your um, but I think too, that just to tie these ideas together, these themes of, um, cause we're looking, we talked a little bit, I think off recording about the rising divorce rates. Yeah. We also see decreasing marriage rates. And a lot of people do a too quick analysis of this and say, um, well, look, people aren't getting married and they're getting divorced. So therefore people don't care about marriage anymore. They're, they're seeing this as an unimportant institution, mm -hmm. but I think it would be, that's a huge mistake to make pastorally. Cause what's really happening, what you're really pointing to and what uh, my students' experiences are pointing to and the sociology is pointing to is that we actually care about marriage so deeply now, right? So we're so scared to mess it up. Mm -hmm. So we're less likely to get married because we want it we don't want to mess up. We know how precious it can be, how amazing it can be. Um, and then when it ends up that we do enter into marriage and then it's not that, 
we're really quick to throw away. We say, no, like I know what it can be. Yeah. Right. Um, and so just to, when we consider how to best minister to those contemplating marriage, to those afraid of marriage, to those struggling in a marriage, um, know that that's not coming out of a space of not caring about marriage, but a, a place of caring about marriage so deeply. Mm -hmm. right? Definitely. All right. Thank you for joining us on this bonus edition of Los Nazarenos podcast. Um, next week, we will be putting out part two of this conversation with Dr. Maureen Day on Pope Francis's Morris Letizia. So remember to rate and review the podcast, share it with your friends. And uh, if you want to follow us, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And it's at Nazarenos for Life. And you can also check out our website, nazarenosforlife.com. Thanks and peace.